Welcome to the Nonprofit Exchange Podcast. Stories by leaders for leaders to help you raise the bar on your own excellence to release the potential inside of you. Now, here's today's podcast. It's Tuesday at 2 Eastern, and it's the Nonprofit Exchange. Hugh Ballou, we're here for episode 317, and we have great people sharing wonderful stuff, things that we need to know as nonprofit leaders. And today is different than any of the ones we've had before. So sit down, get your notepad. There'll be some things that um, you'll want to copy and you can come back to this page and watch it, listen to it, and you can download it on your smartphone. The T-H-E Nonprofit Exchange is the name of the podcast and it's thenonprofitexchange.org to find what it's all about and to find a link to all of those episodes. But right now, today, so Gary, um, how do you pronounce your last name? Manglik? Manglik. Manglik. So Gary is my guest today. So tell people a little bit about you and your background and your passion for this work that you do. Sure. Yeah. So I run a company now called Instrumental. It's an end-to-end institutional fundraising platform for nonprofits. We help with everything from prospecting, discovery, research, tracking, management of grants, um, collaboration, reporting, like everything in one place. We work with over 2,000 organizations. When folks use us, they save uh, three hours a week, and they're able to get out 78% more applications per year. So we're seeing incredible impact. Um, But I originally didn't come from this space. I came from the product and tech world. I I studied computer science. I started a company out of school. that was in a very different space uh, and it was a it was a mobile app back when that was a big thing you know when apps were first starting to become um, a whole thing and everyone was excited to download them not so much anymore uh, but uh, we started a I started a company out of school we worked on it for a couple of years we were acquired by Airbnb and so I worked at Airbnb as a product manager and then I got um, connected to my co-founders who were from the space they had both worked in philanthropy they had both worked in academia and they had seen the problems of grant seekers and thought that the tools that were out there were really insufficient. And so I joined them as the product and tech person to help bring their ideas to life. And really what was motivating to me was this idea that I could see, I was working with like the the best product and design talent at Airbnb, and I could really see all the great experiences we were able to build. And then when I looked at the, you know, the specific problem that my two co-founders were having and wanting to solve for and looking at the tools that were in the market, I felt like we could definitely build something that was easier to use, build something that really truly solved the problem of um, inefficiency and how much manual work it takes to find good fit funders and then all of the kind of manual work it takes to stay organized and streamlined. That's a bunch of stuff. And it's really important because um, we know there's grant money, but Centervision is a 501c3. We support others. And so we really haven't done grants yet, but it's certainly on the radar. Capacity building is what what we do, and that's what's needed in the industry. Actually, it's what's needed so the, the, the grant funders know that there's proper use of their money. Um, so um, how big is, is are the pockets? How big are, is the grant money? Um, are there, is there a lot of money available? I understand it's very competitive and they're all tapped out, but is that true? So actually foundation giving has been increasing every single year since uh, 2013. Um, and in 2020, there was like the highest ever amount of grants given and also net new, like unique nonprofits that were receiving grants. 
and um, it seems like there has been like a slight trend downwards in terms of individual giving and retention of of donors of individual donors and so grants are playing an even more important role when as nonprofits are thinking to diversify their fundraising strategy and their fundraising channels. Not everyone and not every organization like right off the bat like I think needs to apply for grants and we can certainly talk about that, but I think it's definitely something to consider if you are what you know what we would call grant ready. So for for somebody to use your platform. What kind of status do they need to have? Their startup, they need to be seasoned. You know, what, what kind of preparation does a nonprofit need to be take available, uh, be <laughs> take advantage? Sorry, wrong word. Of your your sounds like a great tool you've got. What what do we need to do to be ready for using your tool? Sure. Yeah. I mean, so there's the I would say like kind of the basics that I'm sure you um you know tell folks about. Make sure you're incorporated. Make sure you have a clear mission. Make sure you have a board that's invested. Um, I think that the kind of going beyond that, the most important thing to remember, and it's always helpful to think from the funder's perspective so you can really empathize with them and, you know, use that to inform your strategy is that institutional funders, grant funders tend to be more risk averse because they tend to give out larger sums of money. This is like a professional organization trying to give out money versus like, you know, me giving out money. So they have more a process. And because of that, they, have a higher bar, they're going to ask you to clear a higher bar in terms of demonstrating a track record of some sort of success. It doesn't need to be, you know, 10 years of, you know, operating at a huge budget. Obviously, that would be then impossible for any organization to ever get their first grant, but um, some sort of way that you can show the funder that if they fund you for this program, that you can point to some sort of history in the past of some sort of minimum viable program where you can show that you are going to be a good steward of that money and like demonstrate impact. So it's not a good idea for somebody just starting up to apply for grants or are there planning grants available? There are certainly startup grants available and that could be, you know, something to consider. Uh, but I would say that's kind of more on a ad hoc basis versus something that I would consider to be like your core strategy when you're getting started out. I typically recommend folks starting um, out with some sort of layer of like individual funding, uh, individual donors, um, whether that be through like events or through, you know, other sorts of campaigns with the idea being to get to some sort of place where you can demonstrate um, the success of a program in some sort of small way um, and demonstrate to your donors and then and to your future funders that your organization has the capacity to like implement these programs. Um, and then once you have that, then going after grants as like kind of the next layer of complexity, the next layer, uh, I think makes a lot of sense. But even with those grants, when you start to go after that, it's helpful to break that down. So it's not just you're going after all grants. And um, when you're just getting started, winning your first grant is, of course, the most challenging. And then it becomes like a, you know, like a flywheel or like an avalanche. It becomes easier and easier to win your next, your 10th grant is going to be easier to win than your second grant. And so you want to start off with the easier grants. And so that will typically be like smaller local grants um, where you can like demonstrate that ability to win that grant to, to showcase, you know, good success with that grant and then continue on with that flywheel. So um, let's so what are um, some of the challenges that nonprofits have when it comes to their overall grant strategy? Yeah, I think the biggest one is around being grant ready. I see a lot of folks that will kind of really try to scale the program before um, demonstrating 
kind of a proven uh, flywheel with their program. And so that would be the, the kind of the, the most important thing to get right in terms of a challenge that I see folks having. I think that the other is, um, it's twofold. One is like then prioritizing funders, uh, actually discovering and prioritizing funders holistically. So making sure that you have a good understanding of the landscape of funders and opportunities that are out there and a system for prioritizing them. Oftentimes I see folks that will be maybe a bit too um, excited uh, when, especially in the beginning. And then over time you start to become a bit more skeptical, right? You're really looking for a high bar to clear, to understand if this, to feel like this funder is gonna be a good use of your time. Um, you're gonna wanna make sure there's like very clear mission alignment that you're able to see um, that this funder gives to organizations that are similar to yours. Um, and feel like there's a true fit before deciding to spend your time there. Yeah, yeah, because we um, the the title for this show is how to find uh, the best, more best fit grant funders, more of them that fit. So, talk more about the fit for grant funder grant funding. You know, the because we think something's important doesn't mean we can apply to every grant maker for because they don't they want they have specific goals right how do we how do we check for alignment sure yeah there's two buckets at a high level that i talk about so one of them is their explicit preferences so what do they literally say on their website what do they say are there you know their preferences what do they say are their eligibility criteria who do they say they're they're funding and that's really important you have to make sure that you know from their an explicit perspective you check all the boxes that tends to be a bit more straightforward, but does you do get better at it over time where you can start to like read between the lines and as you um, you know get get more practiced at that. But then the other component is your is the funders implicit preferences. So it's the stuff that maybe they don't know how to state explicitly or don't want to state explicitly, which is usually more common and easy easily available to find with private funders because they need to report on their 990 tax filings each year, who they have funded in the past, which which when mined properly and, and kind of aggregated properly can give you a goldmine of um, information about the funder's implicit preferences. So here you can find things like, you know, the, the whole list of organizations they funded in the past. And so you can look to those specific organizations and see like, are you similar to them in terms of mission, in terms of the geography, in terms of like the purpose that this grant was for, you know, if you're only looking for capital grants and this funder never funds capital grants, that's something you can see on their, you might be able to see on their 990 data. The other thing you can see are like trends. If you use tools like instrumental that kind of aggregate it. So you can see like on average, what is the, like the median grant size for your category of nonprofit. Um, and that will give you a sense of like how aligned this funder is. And then one of the most important things is how open is this funder to new grantees versus repeat grantees and so like that will create a you know potentially big difference in your strategy if a funder really gives to new grantees very frequently uh, then that might you know bubble that funder to the top of your list whereas if a funder mostly gives to re uh, to repeat grantees then you know that you might want to pursue a more relationship driven approach and you probably don't want to just apply cold and may that you know maybe shouldn't be the first funder that you approach unless you have a an introduction that can um, bridge that gap for you. So instrumental is your website, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you're listening to the podcast. You can go to uh, the nonprofitexchange.org and see the video. But on there, if they go to instrumental, 
Um, let's just talk about what people find when they go here. Sure. Yeah. So we have a, a trial that you can try us out totally for free, risk-free. When you sign up, um, what you'll be asked to do is set up your first project. And that's um, right away like a very different kind of concept than you'll find on other tools. Excuse me. And a project is kind of like a workspace and it will map to different funding areas at your organization. So let's say that you're an environmental organization and you have an environmental education program. You might set up your first project called environmental education. And you'll fill out information about that program in terms of the keywords, in terms of the types of funding you're looking for, in terms of the kind of general size of the amounts, in terms of where the, the program is taking place. And Instrumental will then match you to open opportunities, like open RFPs, as well as funders that may not be open today, but may have given to organizations that are similar to yours. Um, so they may not have a website, they might be invite only, and so you can also consider those. You have all of that information in a kind of like an inbox uh, where you can easily go through uh, our matches. And then you have a tracker uh, where you can track and manage um, both the grants that you are matched to on Instrumental that you think are a good fit, as well as grants that you might you know, have outside of your Instrumental in a spreadsheet, most commonly that you can then bring into Instrumental and track everything in one place. So am I hearing that you can do this instead of spending hours and hours and days and days doing research on one at a time? Yeah, we just ran a survey actually and found that like on, on a per grant basis, folks are saying that they're saving, it takes three hours less per grant or per funder um, to find that, you know, find a good fit funder. So like on average, you know, if you, if you spread that over like a hundred funders, that's like quite a lot of time that folks are saving. Especially you're paying a grant writer 80, 90, 100, $150 an hour, you know, that's, that's significant savings. So, um, is what you said who we serve nonprofits grant writing consultants okay and then um you how many <clears throat> you have a database of funders mm -hmm. uh, it's more than a hundred how large is the database just approximately yeah so there's um two ways to think about it so on the funder side if you think about like kind of private foundations we have all of them so that's like over you know, 100,000, whatever is available that the IRS, all of the available funders, we have those in our system. When it comes to active opportunities, uh, so these are like active RFPs that we find out through funder websites. Uh, we have, we're the most comprehensive data set of those active RFPs for nonprofits. And we have over um, 12,000 of those. Well, this is a gold mine. Let's stop keeping it a secret. <laughs> so uh, now um, you're so purposeful in this. It's just an inspiration to listen to, and you're very knowledgeable. Um, so what are some of the most interesting trends you see from funders that you think would help nonprofits identify the best fit in those funders for them? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, some of the things um, like mentioned, mentioned around like uh, kind of what the funder set states on their website in terms of like the 990 data. Um, I think the, you know, in terms of other things to understand from if you're trying to understand fit, um, one of the biggest things, and I think some one of the things that some nonprofits may not understand when they're starting to go after uh, grant funders is, is actually like really understanding if you have an into some sort of warm connection at the funder or at the foundation. Um, oftentimes, 
foundations can be pretty similar to like major donors. And so you'd want to really approach it from a relationship building standpoint. And so usually on the 990, you can find some contact information. Of course, you can try to find that on the website um, as well. And my typical guidance there is to um, obviously mine your network, your board, uh, see if they have any connections to funders that you think might be interesting. Um, one thing that uh, folks don't necessarily commonly think of, but I also recommend folks try is to see if you might know any past grantees of that funder um, to understand if you can like just get to know them, understand what their process was like to break into that funder. Did they need an introduction? Did they did they just apply cold? Just like understanding what their process was like. Um, and then if you're able to build a good rapport with that with that recipient, it's possible that they might feel comfortable also making that introduction for you to that funder. Um, but I would say, I mean, if you can't build that, that warm connection, which is best case scenario, and that's often, you know, challenging, especially when you're just getting started. Um, the next best thing is just to try to get in touch yourself. And the thing you want to keep in mind there is that you don't necessarily, when you're going directly, need to start with maybe a, you know, complex ask of like wanting to take the funder out to coffee or wanting them to um you know meet you or trying to build a relationship when you're reaching out directly you can kind of empathize with the funder potentially receiving tons of kind of inquiries like yours and you want to try to keep the ask as simple as possible and i think the simplest thing you're trying to get an understanding of is does it make sense for you to apply or you know submit an loi to this funder and you just want their like confirmation and so you want to give them the minimum amount of information you think the funder would need um, and so that they can give you like a thumbs up or a thumbs down. So like a quick email that says, here's what I'm going after. Does, do you think it makes sense for me to pursue this? Would just love your kind of quick input. And then if you get that thumbs up, then you know that it's worth it to spend your time here. We're, we're finding that with corporate sponsors and some, some granting organizations that it's hard to get to people because they're not really, they get, they do have a lot of requests. I don't think any of them are lacking for requests for funding. So how do we get through to people if they don't answer their phone or return phone calls or return emails? Um, do you have any, do you find them on LinkedIn? What do you do? How do you get to them? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, certainly trying to email them directly, if you can find their contact information is a good strategy. I think the, uh, you know, LinkedIn is also a good strategy, but with all of these channels, it's important to remember that the quality of your message is also important. You know, if you you want to not just like send a message. You want to send a message that is like very impactful that makes the funder say, oh yeah, I really want this nonprofit to apply um, and be, you know, in my Rolodex. And so actually thinking about, you know, if you're not getting an answer, actually looking at your messages and seeing if you're really thinking about it from the funder's perspective, do they want to reply to this? Is it really easy to reply to this? And then, you know, again, if, that, if that's not working in terms of getting a direct reply, um, then I would try to see if there's ways to get in contact with them indirectly um, through your network, through your board, through grantees, um, through events that are happening in your in your community, um, that sort of thing. So I was working with an organization, it was an educational organization that actually connected with a private foundation that had funded them before and had a verbal okay to present a project, which was an out of the education, you know, a, a group that was going to be for collaboration and and for the area nonprofits, but they were turned down. It was in the 70,000 range. They were turned down, even though the, the funder said it was a good plan that they would support. 
They were turned down because the requesting organization did not invest any into the project. So um, is there having us having skin in the game, having built the infrastructure, creating the system, what kind of what kind of um, investment do we need to have for the funder to treat it seriously? Hmm, that's a great question. Um, I mean, if you think about it from the funder's perspective, like seventy thousand dollars is a is a big amount, and I think what they're looking for is to try to mitigate risk as much as possible. Um, so having some investment on your end or um, some sort of way that you've been able to demonstrate success with that type of project or even that project in the past is going to be uh, very helpful. I think that, you know, in terms of other ways that you might demonstrate your investment is, and we were talking about this earlier, is actually collaborating with partners um, and actually going out and finding those partners and having them, having those partners also have a stake in, in supporting you. So let's just do some, for instance, um, I don't think most nonprofits understand what collaboration is. They did. It's not that they did a golf tournament together. That's just an event cooperation. It's a cooperative event. But collaboration means creating and implementing programs together. And it and it doesn't necessarily mean only nonprofit and nonprofit because nonprofit could collaborate with business and government and education, churches. So there are multiple kinds of collaboration. So talk about what collaboration needs to look like. And then how does that um, look to the funder? You know, you talked about explicit and implicit. So is that an explicit piece or is it both? I think that as much as it can be made explicit, the the better. Um, and I think that, again, this is kind of a, you know, a tool that I mentioned a couple of times that I think is really helpful is like, again, if you think about like what the funder cares about um, and you think about from the funder's perspective, um, they care about mitigating risk um, from their end. They care about uh, maximizing their impact. One of the things that we hear funders say all the time is that they get so many applications, they wish they could fund them all, but they just can't. And so from their perspective, if they can be in a situation where they are, they feel like they're funding multiple organizations kind of in one go, that can feel like a bigger win for the funder. And you can stand out um, you know, from the rest of the pack by being able to work with multiple partners. And I think the way that I would think about collaborating is in in the additional kind of um, impact that you'd be able to have with that program. Um, so, you know, if you're going to be able to collaborate with the with another organization and actually be able to demonstrate that you can do more than you were able to do alone, that's a gen you know, directionally like where I would um, encourage folks to go. Well, you mentioned impact, so. We tend to talk about activity and it's very different than the results, which would be the impact of the, so the, the grant maker, well, it's the return on their investment, which is the impact of the work, correct? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's any, any tips on thinking about, you know, we haven't done it yet, but we know what's going to happen or we project what's going to happen. And that's what the funder wants to see is the impact of the, their funds, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think that's why a lot of, um, you know, grant applications will have kind of an evaluation plan um, and a sustainability plan, um, but certainly that evaluation plan to like actually make sure that you're thinking about how you're going to be measuring the success of that program. And like that is an especially important part of that uh, proposal. So um, your software helps people find 
And do you apply through the software or do you apply separately? Is it done in the software or do we go on their website and fill it out there? Yeah, you don't apply on Instrumental today, but we have a link um, kind of directly to the, the portal typically or the, the, the place on the funder's website where they have directions on how to apply and you'll apply there. So are there any secrets, you know, that you talked about the implicit and explicit. So sometimes nonprofits are turned down for grants and they don't really know why. Do you have any, any, any tips on trying to figure out why uh, the person didn't get the grant? Yeah, and I think that's a really important part of the process that uh, folks will, that nonprofits will sometimes overlook. Um, sometimes there can be really valuable information in the grants that you weren't awarded, um, especially if you did a great job in building a case for yourself around why you thought this funder was a good fit for you. And if you find that, you know, you weren't awarded that, it's worth it to try to get that feedback um, from the funder to understand why and build that into your process. That kind of feedback loop is really important. And in terms of how to get that information from the funder, I mean, obviously you can try to reach out, ask the funder for information. I think that's step one. Sometimes people don't do that, even though it sounds, you know, quite obvious, but that's definitely something that I would try. And again, I would try to make it really easy for them uh, to try to understand, you know, just you're trying to get some like basic information on what caused this funder to not um, consider your application um, to stand out. And then if that, if you're not able to get in touch with that funder, I might try to find a grant consultant who has uh, worked in that space uh, for some time and have them review your proposal and review that, um, you know, that match that you thought was a good match and give you their take on, you know, what caused that proposal to not uh, stand out. So you have two um, who it's for listed. One is the nonprofits themselves and one is, is would be a consultant. So that would be somebody that's working as for hire for the nonprofit to get them funding. Is that right? Yep, that's right. Okay. So um, what do some of the most successful nonprofits you talk to do when it comes to mission matching and identifying good fit grant opportunities? That seems to be the biggest problem is, is nonprofits apply for things that aren't really a good match. So what are some of the best practices in clarifying that? Yeah, I think that the biggest... The most important thing is to number one, make sure you're looking at the full landscape of funders and opportunities, because if you're not prioritizing against the full list, uh, then you're always going to be at a disadvantage. So if you're, if you just get something that comes across your desk and you're just looking at that individually, that is not as great as being able to look at that in context of all of your other opportunities that are out there, because maybe this is from a math perspective, like a B plus, and you're like, seems pretty good. But spending time on that versus an A-plus match that you haven't found yet is going to be um, a big cost to you. Um, so making sure that you have some sort of system or tool where you feel like you feel confident that you've seen the full landscape of opportunities. Um, then, you know, from a match perspective, kind of we talked about it, a number of things, you know, looking at those implicit preferences, explicit preferences, and really, you know, I think from a mindset perspective, getting to a place where you don't feel like it's a stretch. Um, where you feel like there's kind of a clear alignment between what that funder cares about and what your programs and what your organization is trying to solve for. Um, and then, you know, in terms of, you know, that third piece, I would say it's like really to build on top of how to figure out if there's a match is, is to see if you can build a relationship or get some sort of connection from the funder to see if uh, they agree. It's not just like you thinking that there's a good match, that they agree that there's a good match. Um, 
those would be some things that I would consider. That's good. So the getting the grant is part of it. The other part is reporting on the grant. Any advice when people get the money on how to make sure they're collecting the data so they don't have to do a lot of work at the back end going and finding it? Yeah, I think that sometimes, especially when you're getting started, that can be overlooked. Um, I think it's important as much as possible when you're submitting the grant and you're kind of stating what you're going to be using the funds for and, and what the program, you know, is going to, how it's going to be designed, that you're working in collaboration very closely with the rest of your team uh, to make sure that they are on the same page and you have kind of a plan for how you're going to be collecting that information after the fact. Um, and, you know, what, at the beginning, when you just have like one or two grants that you're winning and you're needing to send reports out, it hopefully won't be as as challenging to remember those reporting deadlines and to stay on top of that. But as that, you know, as that portfolio grows, which hopefully it does, um, then it makes sense to kind of like invest in some sort of way to make sure that you're able to stay on top of those reporting deadlines and all of the tasks that your team need to stay on top of so that you as the as the grants person um, or as like the relationship manager with that funder um, can make sure that you're getting the information you need in a timely way so you can like create those reports and deliverables uh, back to the funder in a timely way. That's so important. So you should really think about writing in some administrative costs to your grant. Yes. Yeah, typically. Yeah. So this has been so helpful and you're just on top of this. This is really, really so informative. Any, any um, final thoughts you'd like to share with people before we end this really great interview? Sure. Yeah. I would say that, you know, if you're just getting started with grants, um, you can, uh, the first, the number one thing to do is just make sure you're grant ready. There's a number of kind of resources out there. If you kind of Google that, and that's a good place to get started. Um, and then I would also say that um, you'll often hear this kind of uh, quote that, you know, folks will say grants are a numbers game. And I, you know, agree with that to some degree. And I think that it's important when you're getting started to make sure you have enough shots on goal. Um, but you also want to make sure that you're building the the system and the strategy uh, in, as you're actually um, starting to go out, out on this process. And so it can be helpful to pair with a, you know, a coach or a consultant or someone who's done that before. And on our blog, instrumental.com forward slash blog, you'll find a ton of webinars and free content uh, that will also help to um, give you advice and information on how to really build that system um, so that you can be successful with grants. I want to repeat that. It's instrumental, I-N-S-T-R-U-M-E-N-T-L dot com there's no it's it sounds instrumental but there's no a in it instrumental.com and then forward slash blog and if you go there um we can't do a call to action in a nonprofit but we can say for more information go there and and uh, on the web on the web page for and the uh, podcast page for this interview um you're going to give me a link for a free gift so what's that free gift yeah, so if you uh, go to our, our homepage you'll, that, that you, you showcased, if you um, want to try out our 14-day free trial, um, that's a great place to start. Um, and if you decide to move forward with the paid subscription, uh, we have a kind of a promo code that you can use for listeners of this podcast. It's NPX50, capital N, capital P, capital X50, and I'll share that with you so you can um, put that in the show notes as well. Great. Well, um, Gary Manglik, thank you so much for um, sharing this great information with us on the Nonprofit Exchange. Thank you so much for having me.
Thank you for listening to the Nonprofit Exchange. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.